But uh, this morning, uh, we want to um, address a subject that is kind of like the elephant in the room. Uh, you know what that means, right? The elephant in the room. You read the Ten Commandments, and you go like, all right, number one, sure, it's a sin if I, if I have another God. Number two, yep, that's a sin. Number three, if I do that, it's a sin. If I commit adultery, if I steal, if I kill, these are sins. But then you hit this fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath holy. And you go like, oh. Okay, whatever, let's go to the fifth one. <laughs> Honor your parents. <laughs> you never know what to do with that fourth commandment, right? How many of you have ever wondered? Like, isn't that an elephant in the room for you? How many of you have wondered, right? And so I feel like uh, we really do have to address the Sabbath controversy only because it is there. Many people ask the question about like, what, what about the Sabbath? And there are many Sabbatarians, people who hold the Sabbath, for instance, for instance, the um, Seventh-day Adventists, they hold the Sabbath. And then there are the uh, Messianic Jews who hold to the Sabbath. And oftentimes, uh, there are these arguments that start up, and everybody has their verse, you know, and everybody holds fast to their verse. And of course, as you know, something that's very, very, very big to me is, in fact, hermeneutics, which is the science of biblical interpretation. You have to be able to have a systematic hermeneutic or else you're going to keep on running into walls, off of bridges, into ditches, all right? So you have to be able to walk through scriptures systematically. I'll give you an example. Many times people want to argue the whole idea of God not being sovereign in salvation. The question is, if God, let's talk about limited atonement. I'll just throw one out there. If, if limited atonement wasn't true, then you know what happens, right? Your whole your whole uh, um, theology becomes inconsistent because the Bible is very clear that God gave His Son, Jesus, a gift to save. Right? We've all, we've, all, we've all read through that, talked through that many times. God gave His Son a gift. And He came to save that gift. But... If it's not limited in some sense, whoever limits it, we're not going to talk about that now, but if it's not limited, then why is Jesus over here trying to save people God didn't give him? You see, there has to be consistency within, uh, within your interpretation of scriptures. You can't suddenly have disunity within the Trinity because, um, you know, we don't like a doctrine. I hope you followed what I said there. Anyhow, so my point is just we have to have a systematic hermeneutic, and we cannot fish out a certain verse, put our spin on it, uh, it's called a theological soundbite, and run with it and start a whole entire denomination called Seventh-day Adventist. That's it. If, you're not, if you don't worship on the seventh day, you're not part of us. <laughs> you know? Or uh, how about that? If you are not baptized in the name of Jesus, that's what the preacher had to say when he baptized you. Otherwise, you ain't baptized. And so people grab a verse, they throw everything else away, and their hermeneutic is, well, that's what it says right there, and I don't care what it says anywhere else. So many believers believe that the reason so many are burdened out or burnt out and constantly exhausted, overwhelmed, and chronically ill, uh, that's kind of like a picture of what's going on in the world today. They believe, really, the reason why heart attacks is one of the major causes of death, especially in the West, 
where everything is really rush, 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 24-7, lights are on all the time, you work every day of the week. They believe that it stems from the fact that our society no longer practices God's design of the Sabbath. And when you look at it pragmatically, it almost seems like that could be true. But have you ever wondered what we are to do with this fourth commandment? Are the Ten Commandments actually only really nine? Do we now have nine commandments or do we still have ten commandments? If we have only nine, how did, it, how did that happen? And who affirmed that in the New Testament? Where do we see any one of the apostles, early church fathers go, don't forget the nine commandments. <laughs> We're going to set out to study the Sabbath, its nature. We're going to set out to study its purpose. We're going to set out to study um, why God instituted it and how we as New Testament believers are, ought to view the Sabbath. What do we do with it? Now understand that when we talk about the Sabbath, we are really referring to an Old Testament practice, are we not? There is, however, no possible way of understanding the Old Testament without first putting our New Testament glasses on. And this is when we talk about hermeneutics. You cannot interpret the Old Testament without being in Christ. Luke 24, 27, Jesus, say, Jesus says, the beginning with Mo, uh, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them, the disciples, the things written about Himself in all the Scriptures. Now, it is obvious in this verse that it took a resurrected New Testament Jesus to help the disciples understand what they were reading in the Old Testament. Because right here, after the resurrection, He was walking with them on the road to Emmaus, and He's explaining to them what all of what they've already read, already memorized, and believed means. They didn't know what it meant until He told them, and He only told them what it meant after He was risen from the dead. In John 5, 39, it says, You examine the Scriptures, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He says, You examine the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. You examine the Old Testament because you think you have eternal life in those Scriptures. And it is those very Scriptures that testify about me and you don't even know it because you don't know how to read it unless you are in me, unless you believe me. Again, we cannot turn to the Old Testament without having our New Testament glasses on. You have to be in Christ in order to understand the actual purpose, meaning, and intention of Scriptures. We see in John 5, 46, For if you believe Moses, Jesus said, you would believe me too, for Moses actually wrote about me. Like, if you believe in the Old Testament, guys, you would believe Jesus, because the whole Old Testament is about Him. Jesus makes Himself here the subject of the Old Testament. And without knowing Jesus, no one would be able to interpret that Old Testament. No one would understand its promises. No one would be able to interpret its types and its shadows. So when we realize that Christ is the center of the entire Bible, both Testaments hinge on Jesus, and that He is the concealed one in the Old Testament, and He is the revealed one 
in the New Testament, then that veil will be taken off of our hearts and our minds and the scales will fall from our eyes and we will be able to interpret the Old Testament scriptures, types, shadows, feasts and Sabbaths for what it truly means. So again, please don't ever look at an Old Testament feast. Don't ever look at an Old Testament type or a shadow or a holy day without viewing it from the perspective of Christ being the centerpiece or the subject matter of it all. Last week we learned that it would be impossible to grasp just how good God is by simply looking at the way He judged people's uh, seemingly innocent mistakes. Remember we walked through all of those and how absolutely judgmental God seemed, cruel He seemed, for instance. Consider how God refuses Moses' access into the promised land simply because He struck the rock twice instead of speaking to it. God says, after everything you've done, all the good you've done, this mistake here, you're not going into the promised land. Consider how God kills Uzzah for attempting to rescue the Ark of the Covenant, the type of Jesus, from tipping over when the ox stumbled. Consider how God commands a man to be stoned to death for picking up the sticks, or for picking up sticks during the Sabbath. He was working during the Sabbath. But without seeing these events in the Old Testament as types and as shadows of the coming Christ, the covenant was a type and a shadow of the coming Christ. So also was the rock Moses smote a type of the coming Christ. So also is the Sabbath a type of the coming Christ. And if you play with that, you will die in the Old Testament just as you will die if you play with who Jesus is and what He came to do. If you add to who He is, subtract to who He is, or if you add to, what he, to His perfect work or subtract from His perfect work, neither will you live eternally. As they died in the Old Testament, because they misinterpreted Christ, so those who misinterpret Him in the New Testament, neither will they live. Why do you think it's so, such a big subject throughout Scriptures where people are constantly being told, watch out for those who deceive. Watch out for those who deceive. Why? Because that's exactly what it is. A foreign gospel is no gospel at all. An alien gospel is a false gospel, and that is not a saving gospel. So without seeing these events in the Old Testament as types and shadows of the coming Christ, people look at the Old Testament and they judge God for being cruel, for being mean, for being unrighteous, and for being downright bloodthirsty. Like he's a bloodthirsty guy. This is why Marcion, in the, in the second century, he came up with the idea that Jesus was a greater God than God, the, created, the, crea the, the creator God of the Old Testament. He said Jesus in the New Testament was more loving than the creator God of the Old Testament. He was more forgiving and more compassionate than God, the creator. And so Jesus was greater than God, he said. And the church fathers absolutely excommunicated him for that. It was a false gospel. It was an alien gospel. It wasn't biblically true. 
But the reason they see God as such, cruel, uncaring, unrighteous, and downright bloodthirsty, is because they study the Old Testament law with a veil over their mind. Their mind cannot see Christ when they open up the Old Testament. They look at the rock and they don't see Christ. Why can't Moses just strike it twice? It's a rock. Jesus died once. Why couldn't a guy just pick up a few sticks for his kids and make a fire on the Sabbath to keep warm? Ah, they don't see that the Sabbath is Christ. And you can't work to be in Him. Why did God kill Uzzah for rescuing the ark? That's a good thing. Come on, what's wrong? Well, the arm of the flesh doesn't help Christ. And because they have a veil over their minds, they can't see Christ when they open up the, test, the Old Testament. They don't see Jesus being the subject of all things in the Old Testament. If you, if you accept Moses, you should accept Jesus because everything Moses said, he was talking about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.14 says, But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It couldn't be more clear. That same veil remains when the old covenant, the Old Testament, the scriptures are read. They can't see it. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Only in Christ can you open up that Old Testament and actually understand it. Only when you're in Christ do you understand the rock. Do you understand the Ark of the Covenant? Do you understand the temple? Do you understand the Sabbath? Now that we are in Christ, Christ who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament pictures, types, and shadows, we get to see the Old Testament events with unveiled minds. I see, God, you were just. Yes, God, you were righteous. You've never made a mistake. You've never overreacted. In the same way, when it comes to the Old Testament Sabbath, we have to determine to look at the Sabbath with new covenant eyes. Uh, when we see the Sabbath with, uh, with Jesus in mind, may we never approach the Old Testament customs Old Testament practices as if Christ never came and as if He never died and as if He never rose and as if He never fulfilled any of them. May we never approach the Old Testament ceremony, ceremonial laws as if Christ never fulfilled them. You see, now that we've established this, let's turn our attention to this fourth commandment out of the ten. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath. And keep it holy. Hmm. So what are you going to do with the Sabbath? It's there. What does God require of you? Can you just ignore that? It's part of God's law. And how do we approach the law? The law of God. 
You go, no, 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 but it was, it was the law. We're no longer under the law. Wait a minute. Watch this. When was the Sabbath introduced? In the Ten Commandments? No. Long before. As a matter of fact, it was the first thing that was introduced during the creation. It is rooted in creation, not under the law. For those who are antinomian, and there are none of you here, <laughs> antinomianism are those people who are against the law. There's no more law. I'm free in Jesus. I can do whatever I want. I'm free, free at last. People interpret that freedom in Christ as freedom from responsibility, freedom from having to be obedient, <laughs> freedom from having to live for Christ. That's not, he didn't free you to sin. He freed you from sin, did he not? Right? He also frees you from the eternal consequences of the sins you do commit. But that doesn't free you to commit them at will. You are now free as a new creature to repent from those sins. And you are now free to actually hate them when in fact before you were a new creature you could only love them. And so people think that they are free from the law and the law has been abolished, which it hasn't. And they go, but even so, let's say they were right and the law was abolished. You know it wasn't, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Now, let's say, for instance, he did come to abolish the law. Sabbath still doesn't go away. Why not? Because it, was, it wasn't just under the law, it was before the law. So even if the law goes away, Sabbath is still there at creation. Keep it holy. And so you, so you wonder, what do you have to do? You, you say, Jacques, this is a little bit of a, um, this is a little bit of an odd conversation. Nobody really focuses on this issue. Well, I have a question for you. Jesus said, many, many, on that day will say to me what? Lord, Lord, did we not cast out devils? Heal the sick. Man, did I prophesy. Woo! <laughs> I prophesied. And Jesus says, go away. I didn't know you. All those charismatic gifts that makes people today think that the one practicing them is spiritually elevated in some way and God's hand is upon them. That's not necessarily so. He said on that day, there will be many of those who had these charismatic gifts and he will say to them, get away from me, I didn't know you. But then he's going to give the reason as to why. Why? He says, for you practiced lawlessness. You practiced lawlessness. And that's why it's important for us to embrace the most thorough set of hermeneutics we possibly can in order to understand what does this mean? What do we do with the Sabbath? I don't want anybody to hear, depart from me, you practiced lawlessness. Jesus said that in the New Testament. So, what do we do with thou shalt remember the Sabbath? And keep it holy. What are we going to do with it? What does God require of you? Now to discover these answers to the questions, we're going to talk about it this week. I'm laying a foundation. And then next week, we will continue and finish off on the subject because it's a big one. 
But first, we have to see God's command, uh, you know, see why God commanded. And, f- and in that, in doing so, excuse me, we'll find the purposes, okay? So we're going to seek for the purposes of the Sabbath. What are the purposes of the Sabbath? There are three purposes of the Old Testament Sabbath. Number one is the purpose of the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 20. Brother Steve, can I ask you to get me the the whiteboard and get me a black or blue crayon? I mean, marker. (laughs) Anthony. So here's the first purpose. In Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, it says in verse 8 through 11, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, separated unto. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of the Lord your God. And here it goes. On it you shall do, you shall not do any work. In other words, you shall... Rest from your work, you or your son or your daughter, your male slave, male female slave, or your cattle, or your resident who stays with you. All right? None of them shall work. Everybody stop working. Take the day off. Take it off. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them, And he rested on the seventh day. For that reason, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, he says, okay, rest. And then he tells us why. For six days, here's why. We're looking to to find a purpose, right? For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. And he rested on the seventh day for that reason. There you go. You got it. The Lord blessed the Sabbath. Because of the creation, he blessed the Sabbath. Again, the Sabbath is rooted in the creation. It wasn't introduced under the law. It was introduced at the creation. All right, so the purpose of keeping Sabbath in Exodus 31 was to remember that it is the Lord who, uh, honoring and celebrating God's work in in, in creation. Excuse me. Okay, the second one, the second purpose is found in Sabbath in Exodus, uh, second purpose of Sabbath is found in Exodus 31. Exodus 31, 12 through 15. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, You must keep my Sabbaths, plural, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, so that you may know, so that you may know, here's the purpose, so that you may know, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to keep the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. It's a day set apart for you. Everyone who profanes it must be put to death. For everyone does, for whoever does work on it, that person shall be cut off from among people, his people. For six days, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest. Holy to the Lord, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. So, the second purpose, thank you, brother, appreciate it. The second purpose we find here in Exodus 31 was to remember that it is the Lord who sanctifies. It is the Lord who sanctifies. It is the Lord who 
sanctifies. All right, so we have purposes. So we have the purposes of the Sabbath. We see that the first one is creation. And we see that second one now is sanctification. Remember that? He says, remember that you were... Um, he says in verse 13, Now as for you, uh, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You must keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, so that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So the second purpose is to, have to help people remember that it is God who sanctifies. I'm going to say sanctification. All right, and then there's a third purpose, and we find the third purpose in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 through 15, he says, Keep the Sabbath day to treat it as holy as the Lord your God commanded you. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day, Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work that day. You or your son or your daughter or your male slave or your female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your resident who stays with you so that your male slave and your female slave may rest as well. In other words, your workers. Verse 15, And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Here's a total different purpose. You shall remember, keep the Sabbath, so that you will be reminded of God's wonderful creation for you. Keep the Sabbath so you'll be reminded that it is God who sanctifies you. Keep the Sabbath. Why? So that you'll be reminded of how the Lord God brought you out of there, Egypt, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to celebrate the Sabbath. So here the purpose of the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5 was a reminder that God delivered them from slavery out of Egypt. He saves them from slavery. Salvation. All right, so there are the three purposes of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. They have yet to be told to go and worship on that day, they were told one thing, stop working. We at Christ Nation hope you found this message meaningful. Stop your work. Please feel free to share it with you. anyone that you think needs to hear it. We hope your you son, can join us soon for daughter. a Sunday experience. Everybody for stop. more information, please visit www.christnation.com. TV. God is the creation. Thank you, creator. and God bless remember you. Remember that He is the one who sanctifies you, and remember that He's the one who brought you out of Egypt. He's the one who saved you out of slavery. So let's conclude a few things here. Number one, that God is God over the Sabbath. <clears throat> this is important to understand. God is God over the Sabbath. God can change the purpose of the Sabbath any time He wants to. If He wants, if He did it then, He can do it now. God is God over the Sabbath, and He can change the purpose just as He chooses and when He pleases. He did it three times in two books, Exodus and Deuteronomy. 
The Sabbath is His, and He can do with it whatever He wants. The second thing we have to conclude is that God designed and ordained the reasons or the purposes for the Sabbath. So in a nutshell, the purposes are creation, salvation, sanctification. All right, and the third thing is, He called them to rest. Take the day off. To rest. That is how He created the universe. To end with a day of rest. Six days work, one day rest. So, one out of, one out of seven rest. One out of seven rest. That's the principle. So let's look at the Sabbath and how Jesus dealt with the Sabbath controversy in the New Testament. In Mark 2, verse 23 through 27, it says, And it happened that He was passing through the, through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along with picking up the heads of crane, grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, <clears throat> Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, to the Pharisees, Have you never read? <laughs> have you, isn't that kind of like a little slight of little insult? Like, have you not? When you have a conversation with somebody about the Lord and the other person says to you, haven't you read your Bible? <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying to them. Have you never read? What David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them two incredibly big statements. Number one, He said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then He said, So the Son of Man, referring to Himself, is Lord, even of that Sabbath. This completely drove them nuts. This was just too much for them. They... They couldn't handle it. I want to give you a quick history as to how they got to this point. So Jesus was already implying that He is God. And here He does it again, second time. How? Because they looked at the Sabbath as it is holy unto God. Keep it holy unto God. It is God's day. And they came up with all these rules and regulations as to how you have to act on this day that is holy unto God. It's God's day. And here he comes and he says, I am Lord over that day. <laughs> oh, were they angry. And then right after this, right after this, he goes to the temple on the Sabbath. He finds a man with a withered hand, right hand, and he heals this man's hand. So three things happened before this event. There was a man who was on a bed. He was lame. Jesus goes and he heals him. He says, take up your bed and walk on the Sabbath. Here on the Sabbath, his disciples are eating grain. And then that next Sabbath, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. Jesus is driving a point home and they are hating it. Because he keeps on proving that he's God. 
And they say him implying that he's God is blasphemous. And right here is where, where they decided to kill him. Well, Jesus uses the illustration of King David because he knows that in their minds, in the minds of the rabbis and the Pharisees, that their great hero of the golden age of Israel was in fact King David. So Jesus immediately goes to King David, their hero. However, Jesus just arrived and started preaching about this new kingdom, this kingdom that will fulfill the kingship of David. Jesus, who is the son of David, now appeals to something David did in the Old Testament. How are they now going to argue Jesus without also toppling their idol, David? Then one of the two determining statements that Jesus makes about the Sabbath is when He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Here Jesus is not, watch this, He is not minimizing or abolishing the, 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 the New Testament law. He, but He is, excuse me, the Old Testament law, but He is punching a blow at the abuse of that law. Let me say that again. He is not abolishing the Old Testament law by saying Sabbath was made for man, man was not made for Sabbath. It's not an abolishment of Sabbath. It's an explanation of Sabbath. And he's punching a blow at their abuse of the Sabbath because they absolutely abused it. Jesus was re-emphasizing the purpose of Sabbath by letting them know that they have forgotten the very basic command of the Sabbath day, which is to take the day off. That was the command. Rest from your work. One out of seven, rest. Instead of allowing it to be a day of rest, the Pharisees turned it into a day filled with burdens. Instead of it being a blessing to people, it became a burden to people. That's why Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, to bless him. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath serves man. Is therefore man's interest, their health. So instead of allowing it to be a day of blessing, it became a day of burdens because, you know, they came up with all these rules and laws. So God says, rest on the seventh day, rest. And uh, they would take that law and they will come up with like hundreds of extra little laws on how to fulfill this law. For instance, if you're if your shoelace was tied, you couldn't untie it. That was working. Oh, you broke the Sabbath. You untied something. There's a knot. Don't, don't untie that knot. That's working. They worked so hard at coming up with ways how not to work. And that was their job. <laughs> you may only walk so many steps. You had to count the steps you took on a Sabbath. Because if you took an extra step beyond the amount that you were allowed to take, oh, you just worked. You traveled. For instance, here's one. You may not trip and fall into the sand and leave a mark in the sand because that would be equal to plowing. You worked. Now, I'm not making these things up. These things is what these Pharisees came up with. And Jesus 
knew all of this, and he and he's pointing out the abuses of this, this law. Take the day off. Instead of taking the day off, they were burdened with all these hundreds of laws. For instance, you may not chew grain, because that was equal to grinding. <laughs> None of this is found in Scripture, and we think that these things are ridiculous. But every generation deals with spiritual leaders, burdening them uh, with rules and regulations that are nowhere to be found in Scriptures. For instance, um, some of you come from churches, no dancing allowed here, no makeup, women not allowed to wear makeup, no jeans for women, no playing cards, don't taste that, don't drink that, you're a Christian. When Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, man was not made for the Sabbath. And when he said he is Lord over the Sabbath, he was not saying the Sabbath no longer matters. He was not saying the Sabbath was abolished, but he was guarding it against the distortions of the Pharisees. That's what he was doing right there. He could have very well said right there, the Sabbath is over, by the way, but he didn't say it because it isn't over. But what is over is the abuses of it. So he didn't cancel the use of the Sabbath. He corrected the abuses of the Sabbath. Colossians 2 verse 20 and 23 says, You have died with Christ, and He has set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Oh, how wonderful you are for living up to all these man-made rules. But, he says, they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Oh, so you're not allowed to taste that. But for, by you not tasting that, did that change who you are on the inside? No, it didn't. It didn't. And this is exactly what happens in these man-made religious institutions called churches. Their wives aren't allowed to wear makeup, but man, can they gossip. <laughs> Everybody has to act all politically correct, look the part, say the right things. Man, are they spiteful. You see, all these fruits of the Spirit, none of them are outwardly adorned. You see, these people are clean on the outside, but rotten on the inside. And the Sabbath was supposed to be a gift to keep them, to keep them from wearing out their bodies. It was a gift from God to keep them from wearing out their animals, from wearing out their servants and even their fields. Your ground had to also take a Sabbath. So, that in one in seven days, in every week, nobody is supposed to work. However, because of the Pharisees, the Sabbath was no longer a blessing, but a burden. But what are we, the New Testament, to think about this fourth commandment? So, I get now, Jacques, we have... 
We have the Old Testament purposes. We have the fact that God can change the purpose whenever He wants to. We have the fact that the Sabbath was for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. We have the fact that Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. We have the fact that the Sabbath is, no, is not necessarily under the law. It was included under the law, but it was rooted in the creation. So even if the law had to go away to all those antinomianism, antinomianists, the Sabbath still stands. So what are we supposed to do with it? Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. To fulfill them. You know, I used to be part of the crowd that used to be able to say something without knowing what it meant. Have you ever done that? We have a couple of honest people here. The Sabbath has been, I mean, the... The uh, ceremonial laws have been fulfilled in Christ. What does it mean that they are fulfilled in Christ? Okay. So I am not a dispensationalist. Just got to throw this out there. There are these guys called dispensationalist the theologians, and many great men of God are dispensationalist theologians. In other words, they believe that God's covenants go from one covenant, and it ends, and another covenant begins, and it ends, and another one begins, and it ends, and another one begins, and it ends. You have the Adamic covenant, and you have the... Uh, Abrahamic the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and then you have the Davidic covenant, and then you have the blood covenant in Jesus, the eternal covenant. But what do we do with all those old covenants? Do they go away? Well, I don't believe that covenants are like train carts. The one comes to an end, and the other one starts, and then comes to an end, and the other one starts. It's more like Legos. The one is there and the other one is built on it and the other one's built on top of it. And so ultimately God builds His final work. I'll give you an example, a practical example of fulfillment. Is if you take a three-year-old boy, you know how they take these pictures where, where people stand in the very same spot every 10 years or every year and then you have all these pictures of how this person grew up. A three-year-old boy, he doesn't have to be abolished in order for him to become a man. He's still the same person. He's just no longer a boy. And this is the fulfillment of that boy, is the mature version of the same. In the same way, he, God didn't come to abolish things. He came to build covenant upon covenant in order to ultimately bring things to maturity. Does that make sense? And so, things don't necessarily go away. They grow into what God's always wanted for them. Jesus is the fulfillment of that special holiday. He's the mature version of what they practiced. When they practiced that type and that shadow, here we have the real. Like a young boy practices to, to be like his dad, to shave and to do everything like He's far, eventually, he becomes that. You didn't have to do away with a boy in order to have the man. So how was the Sabbath fulfilled? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, very important. What are we told here? 2 Corinthians 5.17, as the creation 
as God, the Creator, is celebrated, recognized, acknowledged, and honored for His creation. Now we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. We see in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30a, it says, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of who? Because of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. Let me just make a point there. Who decided that you were going to be in Christ Jesus, you or God? It says right there, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and what? Sanctification. There you go. Jesus, because of Him, you are a new creation. Because of Him, you are sanctified. And then in that same verse, 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, and it shows that, and because of Him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Redemption. So 1 Corinthians 1, 30b, redemption, which is salvation. So when there is a Sabbath to be kept, this is what we honor when we keep the Sabbath. We honor the creation, the new creation, that we are now in Christ. Therefore, we are sanctified and therefore we are redeemed. Something we have to admit, though, is the Sabbath cannot be ignored. We cannot ignore the Sabbath because even if the law went away, which it didn't, it was fulfilled. The Sabbath is rooted in creation. However, for something to be fulfilled, it must come to its fullness. The Sabbath has grown to its fullness to full maturity. So next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to have a Sabbath that has not been abolished, but at the same time that is not under the law. A Sabbath that is not abolished, but it's not under the law either. What does that look like? How, therefore, are we to approach that Sabbath? Since you aren't under the law and you are under grace, but there is a Sabbath, what is that? How does it look like and how can we, how can we have that Sabbath? Wonderful. Did we get somewhere this morning? Okay.